So, dear friends, we walk with Jesus in these stations of the cross. We begin in dark Gethsemane as that beautiful hymn we began with. We see Jesus, how sorrowful, how mournful he is. He's in this awful, depressed state because he knows what is going to happen. And before anything and everything, as, as we all should do, Jesus first begins with prayer. Going to the Father, he presses his hands firmly together, white knuckles flaring, praying that the Father would remove this from him. Don't make me have to do this. He knows what's ahead. As he told the disciples, he still feels now a very sorrowful soul. The weight of everything is bearing down on him, pushing him into the very earth. He doesn't want to do this. But yet we must focus on what Jesus says. On who he is even in this moment. Look at what Jesus says as he knows full well what he's about to go through. Not my will, but your will. Not what I want, but God, Father, what you want. Even in the face of all of this, all of this that we will walk through this evening, Jesus is still faithful. He is aligned to the Father, and he does what no one can do. And as he goes back after praying this, he finds the disciples can't even keep their eyes open. He's frustrated. He's hurt. He's probably scared of all the things that he must go through. Frustratingly, he goes to them three separate times and tells them to wake up. You can't even stay awake for just a little bit while I go off and pray. But then he says, no matter. Because he sees what soon follows afterwards. One of Jesus' friends, one of his disciples, the one who we know in Scripture to be zealously charitable, wanting to give and give and give as much as possible, he is the one who leads a group to come and arrest Jesus. And as we read in Scripture, they are armed armed with clubs and swords. And Jesus is confused. They're armed as if he's about to resist this arrest, but why would he? He knows what must be done. He knows what must be fulfilled. But yet he is betrayed into the hands of lawless and sinful men. As we continue to walk these stations of the cross, we walk and see Jesus' trial. In order for him to be executed, he must be guilty. In order to be guilty, he must be tried. And he stands trial here now before the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders. And he stands trial because he is a criminal. But what crime is he guilty of committing? 
the trouble is for the Jewish leaders is to find the exact thing to, to commit him for, to, to make him guilty of. They have all these people bringing out all these testimonies against Jesus, and Jesus just stands there and accepts it. He knows what must be done. But none of these convictions stay except one. The crime of being the king of the Jews. He answers, I am, to this question when they ask if he is the Christ. The truth of who he is sends these, these Jewish leaders into an uproar. And they send him off to the Roman leader Pilate. But we get another scene as Jesus is being led over to Pilate. It seems not everybody has abandoned him. We have his disciple, his zealous friend Peter, who's watching by. He's the only one who's there. He must feel like he's the only one who actually cares. But Peter is recognized. He's been seen with Jesus. And three times they ask him, you are his disciples. We've seen him with you. We know who you are. And each time Peter denies it. And after that third time, he looks over. He locks eyes with Jesus. Jesus with a sorrowful look on his face and Peter with a look of horror as he hears a rooster crow a second time. And it breaks him. He weeps bitterly because he has denied Jesus. He has betrayed him. And as Jesus is forsaken by all people, he stands now before Pilate who is seemingly indifferent to what's going on. Jesus is being convicted of being the king of the Jews. Well, so what? Well, the problem is, is Pilate needs to know if he's a, another nation's leader so that uh, Rome can come in and take care of a problem. But as all these accusations are thrown at Jesus, Pilate simply asks him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, you have said so. But that's all he says. He's honest in his words. His conviction is true. We hear elsewhere in scripture how Jesus is led out before the crowds. They have this tradition of releasing a prisoner and instead of instead of allowing them to be crucified or, or killed or executed or punished. They have these two men. They have this Jesus and they have this Barabbas. Jesus who is guilty of being the king of the Jews and Barabbas who is guilty of insurrection and murder. We all know who's actually guilty. But the reality of everything that is going on here, soldiers who get some sort of brutal pleasure out of this. He is king of the Jews, so they give him a royal purple cloak. He is king of the Jews, so they give him a crown. But not a crown of gold, a crown of thorns. 
They hail him as king of the Jews. They bow down before him in homage, but it is all mocking. These men don't understand that even Jesus bears the weight of their sins as well. That this guilt of his for being the king of the Jews means salvation. To Golgotha, to the place of the skull, it's not anything nice. It's not a vacation spot where anyone might want to go. It is a place that is known only by death. Jesus goes. It's not an easy trip. He is walking along a dirty and dusty road outside of the city and he walks. He's going along a path with sharp rocks and trash and other things right under his feet while he has no shoes. And he continues to go. This man has been beaten and tortured and had just the worst things happen to him. But yet he continues to walk. He carries those beams of wood on his shoulders to Golgotha to be crucified. And of course, he's weak in this. He's been up all night and he has been tortured all night. His body hurts. And not to add on to that, but it's tired too. He's exhausted as he makes his way to death. He may be willing, but yet his flesh now is weak. But then there's this one guy who's passing by. Of all people, they pull out this Simon from Cyrene, and they tell him to help him, help him carry this cross. What could ever possibly go through Simon's mind? Would you help a criminal who is to be executed? Would you help them? It would take some convincing. Especially if you were going into town to take care of your own business. But yet, Simon literally does what we are all called to do. To take up our crosses. To follow Jesus. To go to the point of death, not to be depressed, suicidal, or morbid, or anything awful like that. But for us to put to death that sin which has separated us from God. And this Simon, we hear of his children, of Alexander and Rufus, who we find later in the later books of Scripture... Of course, this event has a striking effect on Simon. But he is simply doing what he has been compelled to do. And of course, this is not a pretty sight. It's no path of glory. It's a path of mourning and shame. It's a terrible scene to watch. People's tears are making pools at their feet as they're watching this happen. But yet Jesus still, still is teaching. 
But here are not pretty words of grace, but terrifying words. Do not mourn for me. Do not shed your tears for me. Do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves, for your children. Those women who have never had children, they will be grateful because of the days that are to come. It's a terrifying final message. Almost sounds vengeful from Jesus. You're doing this to me, so I am going to punish you. But the key here are these daughters of Jerusalem. It's an old way of saying all of Jerusalem. Because when we really focus back from this one scene that's happening, the guilt of all people is there on Jesus. But it's also the guilt that we have as we are the ones who have crucified Jesus. All of Israel, all of Jerusalem, all of humanity is guilty of rejecting this Messiah. And in this final warning, he tells the people to change, to repent, to turn. To stop rejecting and to repent and go back to God. Using these, these words of fear to move the people to repent, just like the prophets of old. As we continue to walk with Christ, it is torture with every step. And you would think that this journey is over, but yet it has barely begun. Now this cross, these heavy beams are taken to the top of the hill. To the top of the place of the skull where he is crucified with two other criminals. He is executed for being a criminal. And when these men are executed, their crimes are written by them so that it might warn others. It might show others that they need to stay away from these crimes. These robbers, everybody knows. They are being crucified because they have stolen. They have violently stolen from other people. But yet inscribed above Jesus is that famous sign that we have probably known and seen but not quite known what it meant. Inscribed above Jesus is I-N-R-I. Jesus Nazarenus Rex Judaiorum, which is Latin for Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. This is his conviction. This is his crime. And with that conviction nailed to the top of the cross, they lay him on the beams. And just like they nailed the sign to the cross, they nail him to the cross. They secure him to the wood with his flesh pierced. And they raise him up on that cursed tree. The wood that was growing, that was a place of life, has now been fashioned into a place of death. And here as Jesus slowly and painfully dies, he is mocked. Literally adding insult to injury. And to add on to that, they, they now steal his clothes. They divide it among themselves as if it's some sort of prize for them. 
People are mocking him, telling him to take himself down. Another man who's crucified with him, save us all. The other one scolds him. Hard to think a conversation would be happening in the midst of crucifixion, but yet there is this one robber. Something has changed in him. He scolds the other robber. He says, we are supposed to be here. This one is innocent. Somehow he knows. Somehow he knows that this Jesus is innocent. And humbly and lovingly, he turns to Jesus. And with a heart full of faith and belief, he asks very simply that Jesus would simply remember him. But Jesus, even now, is full of grace. Ups him and says, not only will I remember you, but today you will be with me in paradise. But yet we look down from the cross and we see that there are still those who have not abandoned him. These wonderful women who have been at his side the whole time. But yet also he sees his beloved disciple John. Jesus, it always blows my mind, but Jesus even in this time is still the perfect son. Is still honoring and loving his mother. And as he knows that he must die and must go on to other things, he now entrusts his mother to John. This is now your mother. And to Mary, this is now your son. Darkness, tears, cries, pain, and now death. Jesus cries out, calling on God, who is not listening. He has forsaken him, and there is no reply. He cries in agony as that final breath escapes his body. And lifeless, he hangs there. His shamed body, nailed to the tree, hangs limp. No one seems to understand how significant this all is. And in sorrow they leave with heads hung low and tears still fresh. But our attention is drawn to one man who looks on. One man who is a stranger in a strange land. Not dressed as anyone from Israel, and in fact, he's thousands of miles from his home, from where he was born, from everything. He's heard of this Jesus. He's heard of what he has taught. And he stands there keeping guard as he is supposed to because it's his job as a Roman centurion, a foreign man. But he gets it. He sees it as he, in beautiful faith, declares, truly this man was the Son of God. He sees it. He knows it. And he sees that the Son of God has died. The exclamation that this Roman makes, 
echoes all the way back to when we see Jesus rise from the waters of baptism. As the Lord declares from heaven that this is his beloved son. And with those few remaining friends, with permission, they gather Jesus' body down to honor him one final time. Their Lord, their friend, they have to pull the nails from his flesh. His body, which was once warm, is now cold. They have to carry him now to the tomb, to his grave. And with a new linens and with a new tomb, they place him in the grave. And in front of this grave, a large stone is rolled. And Jesus is dead. Jesus. 